Hey everybody, it's Jim and Aaron back with another, or I should say Aaron and Jim. If I'm leading, I should say Aaron, right? However I'm you trying want, to be man. deferential to you, Jim. Uh, we're, we're back. That, that's, the, that's the headline, and we got another fresh, bald movie for you. This one is 2006 dystopian science fiction action thriller, is what Wikipedia calls it. Children of Men, directed by one Alfonso Cuaron, uh, who you mm-hmm. might recognize as director of uh, E2 Mama Tan Bien. Or your mom also. Harry Potter and the Prisoners of Azkaban, a.k.a. the best Harry Potter. Children of Men, uh, Gravity and Roma. It stars Clive Owens, uh, Claire Hope Ashety, Julianne Moore, Michael Caine, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Pam Ferris, who you might recognize as the hideous great aunt from Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, Jim, I had never seen this movie before been mm-hmm. on my watch list for a long long time i know it comes up a lot of times when people whenever we're watching stuff people's like oh this reminds me of children of men or whatever um i thought this movie was set in the slums of brazil and it involves some kind of alien alien uh, uh occupation it's like a, like a district nine meets yeah uh, like it's some kind uh, of independence uh, day meets some dog mm-hmm. millionaire <laughs> yeah it's, it was some kind of like exactly right like uh hmm. class conscious apartheid allegory you know okay. thing and what i got was a fucking i don't know this movie <laughs> is a trip to watch uh, with the current state of the world um, and was really emotionally affecting uh, for me. Uh, and it's also just an amazing film. Uh, the shots that, that this movie cost $70 million and every fucking penny is up there on screen twinkling at you. Um, there are incre- like you like one shot action. Is that sh- does that get your rocks off? You like you like that true detective season one uh, sweeping the slums goodness. Well, there's like four different w- scenes bigger and more impressive in in this film uh i think the acting is top notch the story is great the characters are great there's actually some pretty effective humor uh-huh. um which thank god or i might have blown my fucking brains out before i got a chance to record this review jim what did you think of the movie uh, this so is I, not your first time yeah no no, no. I, I saw it once before it had to be 10 plus years ago um and i remember liking the movie but not being blown away by it and and it's weird because in subsequent years every time i hear somebody mention this they're like it's one of the greatest films ever made it's my favorite mm-hmm. film like all of this thing and I, I i remember not feeling that when i saw the movie the first time going back to it i'm now seeing what everyone's talking about it's it's kind of an astonishing piece of filmmaking and since 2006 since this film has you know done what it did with uh oneers and and uh just it's kinetic uh sort of feeling you know Alfonso Cuarón has done it again gravity is much like this movie um but so many other movies have also done it and like 1917 is probably the most recent one that I can think mm-hmm. of uh mm-hmm. that really blew me away being all a single shot um mm-hmm. essentially um, so this time around, I was much more impressed by it. I was I was really noticing the world building that they're doing here, which mm-hmm. was just effortless. It, it felt like this was a real place that I was in. It didn't. Nothing felt forced. Nothing felt inauthentic. It was all just there on screen in this you know, like you like you put a person behind uh, a, a documentary, just like a handy cam. Right. And like, yeah, sent them out on the street in a world. Mm hmm. 
That, that and that's exactly what fight. they're going for. And they, they yeah. delivered it. Like I, I read a lot of different interviews and like behind the scenes. And that was like the constant, I guess Alfonso had just gotten off of the prisoner of Azkaban, which is a loaded with CGI f- film. It's kind of like his first like big effects budget. And there's many times where he was like really wanting to just like call in the CGI army and his DP and uh, other producers are like, nah, you we really want to do this documentary style is, is always arguing for a practical way to do it rather than CG. And there is CCCG. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there. Well, I can't even tell of the most impressive piece of CG because it's a massive spoiler. Um, do you want to do I do a, just for people who haven't seen it or people who might uh, have heard about it and think it's set in Brazil? Uh, do, <laughs> should I give like a little synopsis? Yeah, yeah, to remind absolutely. people what this is. Uh, so in 2009, I don't know if you guys f- kept up with the news, but the last human baby was born hmm. uh, yeah. because of some unspecified viral or genetic malady that has befallen Earth and its population. The year now is 2027, and most of the globe has descended into chaos and unrest over the fact that humanity seems like we're shuffling into the the forever night, the forever sleep, with only the UK ironically standing undivided against the the chaotic world all right nazi repression there yeah yeah uh clive owen plays theo a young or i'm sorry a former political activist that's just now trying to drink himself into an early grave because obviously not a lot of progressive stuff happening in 2027 faced with waves of refugees and immigration from all over the earth uh, the UK government responds by caging and placing these fugies in camps. Again, this movie was made in 2006. Suddenly, Theo's ex, who's now leading a paramilitary resistance movement known as the Fishes, contacts him to offer money in exchange for his help in smuggling a young woman to the coast and out of the country. He reluctantly agrees before realizing the woman herself is smuggling some precious cargo, the first full-term fetus the world has seen in almost 18 years. That's the setup of the film. Uh, you get there in about the first act, uh, and then the rest of the movie is him, uh, you know, escorting this young woman to a play a, a project called the Human the, the Human Project, which I think you're supposed to understand is like a band of like scientists and. Uh, other do-gooders are still doing research and trying to like turn things around for humanity. Yeah, they haven't um, lost hope yet. They haven't given up hope yet. Uh, this was you based on. I meant to say this in the in the the, the four part of the, the episode, but it's based on this uh, James uh, this novel uh, called The Children of Men by P. D. James that was written in 1992. I've not read that. I've heard that the plot varies significantly, and the setup is is quite a bit different too. But um, you know, if you're looking for more Children of Men stuff, uh, right there. Um, I want to talk about like that's the thing I kept on thinking. Like this movie is made in 2006. Um, I'm not sure when, but sometime between 2008 and 2016, Barack Obama built the cages that then uh, Trump would later later famously fill with uh, the children of uh, immigrants and refugees trying to get across our southern border. And I kept on thinking there's many times I wrote in my notes like this is supposed to be a sci fi dystopia. This is not supposed to be a playbook for how to fucking run society. Mm -hmm. And is it? This film did not make a lot of bank. It cost seventy million dollars to make. I think it made seventy six million worldwide. Is it just that not enough people have seen it? Because like I can't believe more that you know as as, as much attention as I was paying to politics and you know twenty fifteen on. I didn't see the comparisons to like Children of Men and this. Maybe I didn't get them because I thought it's like what is the the Brazilian slums have to do with putting refugees in in, in cages? But 
God damn, I thought that was like uh, amazing. Like what a what a a manifestly bad idea and how dystopian it looks and yet that's what we ended up doing in real life. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's it's probably one of those uh stopped clock is right twice a day sort of things like enough movie stories get told one of them's yeah. gonna hit it uh yeah. and this happens to be the one it's it's kind of amazing that it happens to be such a good one uh that sort of got it right but yeah, yeah. i've seen that a lot though like um i remember tom clancy uh i think it was a dead of honor was um uh, a novel about these like uh, militant Japanese separatists because <laughs> you know those are something to worry about in the late 20th century uh, crashed a fully fueled jetliner on the steps of the Capitol building during a State of the Union address killing the president like almost all like everyone except for like two or three members of the cabinet or two, two or three designated survivors and you know obviously when 9-11 happened like Tom Clancy did all the you know uh, the, 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 the talk show circuit and the cable news circuit saying I told you so to everybody usually when you see stuff like that happens it's like a bad thing that was predicted and then bad people made happen ostensibly this is something that was a, a bad predicted just like in you know 15 years ago and then like the official state governments around the world enacted these policies hmm. it's, it's really Usually a film like this. And again, I did not intend this film to be political. I thought this was going to be a, a yeah, I, I knew it'd be some kind of social economic thing, but like um, it, it's really arresting to see. Normally you get like, you know, George Bush and everybody gets uh, upset about the war and jingoism. And then the Wachowski sisters make V for Vendetta as a reaction to that. Right. This I'm not sure what it was a reaction to, but it's like a preaction to what we're seeing today. I don't I, I can't think of anything else that was kind of just just like the feeling of watching this film in 2020. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, you can't help but notice those things while you're watching it. I found it a struggle to identify with, I guess, the protagonists, the fishes. Um, but I, I don't know, because like I, I they're the rebel alliance in this film, right? But they're also doing some pretty horrific shit for their own propaganda purposes, and they're justifying it because, you know, what else are you supposed to do? You got you got you got to give humanity some hope. Um, What I I just found is it is interesting to have um, this these people like caught between two equally bad options. Right. And and somewhere along the line, it's it's I, I will admit I don't I don't think I have a full grasp on the fish's motivations and what they're trying to do um, exactly with this baby. But it seems like they become the bad guys somewhere along the line. When Luke takes over, when Julian's killed, you realize that whole, that whole thing is, uh, you know, some kind of weird false flag operation thing. I I don't Mm -hmm. even know what it is, but yeah. um, Yeah. Along the way they become the bad guys. You definitely start off with them being sort of humanity's last hope. uh, And it, changes very quickly yeah and it's almost like uh it seems like julianne moore wanted to like her idea was look if you show this baby that's born from a fuji it's going to change the world mm. so we need to get her to the safety of the ship so she's beyond everyone's reach and you know she can and i don't know like i there's since this is dystopia it's like i half thought like when they pick her up they're just gonna you know because there's all this like weird stuff about how they modify cows to be more productive milk bears or something and how like and there's all this hints that like maybe she's going to be involved in some kind of weird fucked up 
sexual impregnation uh laboratory experiment yeah uh and i was half expecting like when the 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 future came to pick her up they would like hint to some kind of dark portent but that, the movie kind of pulls a a mild happy ending out of the jaws of despair when they just uh you know play the sound of children laughing and playing over the credits implying that you know the world is able to come back from the brink um yeah i think it's one of the strengths but maybe also uh you know it's it's not always easy um for this film to convey everything it wants to convey because it's trying to do it in a very certain a very specific type of way uh mm-hmm. where it just wants you to kind of be around for the events that are happening in the movie and it doesn't want to explain any of those things to you and so i think audiences uh myself specifically can be excluded for the first time around not understanding most of what's going on uh particularly in the fishes plot because it's very complex and like I said, it's it's only really presented in that sort of uh, diegetic narrative, right? It's mm-hmm. like I I am hearing conversations that I really have to like stop and think about the context of and go back to what I I know from the beginning of the film or from earlier scenes and try and piece all of it together. And you know, when you're caught up in a film that's as kinetic as this, that that moves as quickly as this film, it can be difficult to do that. And I, I don't think yeah. it's a flaw of the film, but I think it makes it challenging to digest the the narrative of this film in one sitting. Well, and they do a whole bunch of um, it felt very real. For example, yeah. you know, you're following this guy going about his business. The bomb goes off. Uh, he like freely admits when he's talking to his dad's like, you know, fuck, it could have been the fishes. It could have been the Fugees. It could have been the government, you know, because it seems like every time a politician gets in trouble, a bomb goes off. Uh-huh. They have all those different perspectives. And you meet Julianne Moore, who's the who I think her character's name is Julianne. The big fish. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The big fish, which is, you know, uh, convenient for her. Um, but but she tells Clive Owen he's like yeah you, you're one of your bombs and she's like we don't bomb we did that one in Liverpool and then we learned that we just never do that again but I was thinking throughout the movie when Luke kind of like you know has a sudden but inevitable betrayal it's like does she even know and it really got me it, thinking I didn't about get like the impression she did yeah yeah so like I mean like and I'm saying like what I'm saying is like does she know for a fact that fishes are not involved in making explosives and stuff oh um, gotcha and I and I and I started thinking this in terms of like what we're seeing now with like the protests and stuff and how, uh, you know, you got like it seems like the um, the middle of the ground take is, well, sure, I like to see George, justice for George Floyd and I support the protests. But these damn rioters and looters, they're fucking going too far. And like, I felt like this movie touches on something, a, a, a topic of like uh, Julianne Moore, leader of the fishes saying that they're not doing bombs. Maybe she's lying and she's just trying to do a one person propaganda thing against Clive Owen, mm-hmm. but she might be telling the truth and like people, things beyond her control are happening. Yeah. And I feel like that's the whole thing. Like once you get like, um, once you get a society that this, that's just fucking shitty, where literally like, I, I don't even know how you, it's, it, it almost felt mildly unrealistic that you could hold the, the world together this long for 18 years after, you know, five years of no babies. And it just seems like, what the fuck? Like, why are we trying to live now? Uh, are you trying to be the last, the, the oldest person that needs a, home, uh, the, a nursing home but can't get one because there's no one younger than you and you're just going to die starving and alone? Like, the government is handing, uh, handing out suicide pills but still banning marijuana. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, yeah. 
it's like once you get to a once you let society get to a point where people are this hopeless, like talking about the morality of bombings and kidnappings and 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 property destruction, it seems like it's almost beside the point. Like you yeah. have to always bring the conversation back to what's causing the things because it's not like people are doing it for jollies. No, um, that's, that's what that film's really about, right? Is is hope? Um, yeah, it, it's embedded in the idea of a child. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's embedded in the idea of you know a future for humanity. Um, it's it's something that you know permeates the entire movie uh, right up to the very very end. And I think like it's interesting to look at the end and sort of say, how do you feel about that? Because um, to me, it was a very hopeful moment. It's a, it's a moment of potentially a new future, uh, one mm-hmm. that is you know much brighter than the the current uh end of the world that they're experiencing uh but i don't know that everyone will feel that way about it well and that's where because i thought when clive owen and the mother key uh like there's this harrowing sequence where clive owen's fighting through tank battles and crumbling infrastructure and bullets going on both sides um, and he gets and he, he, he rescues the baby and the mother and they're coming down and the, the, the military have broken through and they're in this fish compound and the first of them sees the baby and he starts screaming down the line, cease fire, cease fire. Cause and it's just like this miraculous moment of like the, yeah, everyone gets it. Like both the, 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 the fishes are getting it. The soldiers are getting the people in the street. And then that lasts for like 30 seconds until someone accidentally loses around or maybe on purpose loses around um, because they don't want the government to have the baby. They want the baby. And then all yeah. hell breaks loose again. Mm-hmm. Cause I, in that one moment of calm where they're just parting these soldiers and, and, and uh, uh, insurgents like Moses and the red sea. I'm like, well, there you go. Julianne Moore was right. You don't need a violent, like just, holding up this baby like fucking Simba on Pride mm-hmm. Rock is enough to make everyone kind of genuflect and bow and like act right but that's not the way humans work no I mean we're seeing that today it's, it's like you you get moments of realization which quickly yeah. fade in the sort of chaotic static of everything else yeah uh, and and I think you know <laughs> it's it's a shame and I don't know what we can do about that but that just seems to be how humans are yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, uh, my take is we should build a world that's not so fucking uh, pinched and mean so that people mm-hmm. don't have to feel this desperate and are not this close to hair triggers all the time. But, you know, that's that's my idealistic crusade. I think that um, I, and I was wondering, because I guess that's why the, the happy ending didn't sit right. Like, I, I wish that there was no children laughing, that it's like you, it's unambiguous, like a hopeful moment, because you, like you said, you've done the heavy lifting with the baby being born and all the imagery. Um, I thought it was interesting in in juxtaposition of uh, like the the new pope, uh, the La Pieta statue had been destroyed and all the rioting and stuff. Uh, famously, hmm. the Virgin Mary mourning the death of her son Jesus. Oh, um, okay. Man, we gotta need to talk about the Jesus imagery and metaphor in this this movie too. <laughs> Do we have to? Okay, fine. <laughs> but um, I think that uh, when they pick him up, it's like. You know, you, you keep playing this. I kept playing this movie in my mind. I'm like, how long would it take for the first terrorist organization to declare itself in hostile opposition to the baby, the Fuji baby? Yeah. Because how dare these fucking brown savages 
you know, uh, like like they they're they're all bought into this like God has cursed us to die, and how dare these like you know like like it's it's uh uh you know like if if we can't if we can't be the the future hope of humanity, no one can kind of thing. Sure, like that's almost certainly going to happen in this world, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading uh, Ebert's review, and he points out that it doesn't really seem to be. Uh, lines are drawn on on racial divides in that world. It's more, you know, whether you are a UK citizen or not. Yeah, and class because uh, they're still like posh versus. Um, oh sure, I forget. Yeah. yeah, they had like I forget all the different like class names. They're debating whether someone is this or that, or you know, like a lot of they'll yeah. take this baby and give it to some posh black woman. It's like and and religious uh, zealots, like renouncers, mm-hmm. repenters, all those things. Um, right, right. But yeah, the the lines of of I guess the society left in the UK or are drawn on uh, you know citizenship status as opposed yeah. to racial ones. Um, so yeah. maybe you know maybe that it would be my hope that that wouldn't uh, just return to sort of what we consider normal today. Do you know what Children of Men was agitating about when they made it in 2006? Because uh, that's no. I was trying to put my finger like, is this a climate change metaphor? Because I know that's one of the things that like people that are really thinking about t- uh, ter- uh, ter- uh, climate in terms of like not being an Armageddon, but like what's the actual kind of effects it'll be in the next hundred years. And one of the more horrific things is uh, this idea that like the first world countries, these developed countries um, who are better able to withstand the, the, you know, upcoming climate devastation are going to close their borders to the rest of the world, take care of their own and literally just machine gun people at the, at the borders. Um, yeah. And I felt like maybe that's a little bit what they were like, they, you know, they had some kind of trumped up like genetic disease and stuff, but like, you know, this like the scarcity of resources and the fact that like uh, ever few people like, like fewer and fewer people had less and less. Um, but then again, I don't know. There's also some like there's so much fucking layers to this film because like when he went to the ministry, it very much felt like business as usual. Like a nice Bentley came to pick him up and he went yeah. to go see his cousin who is living like literally has this like the most, uh, you know, sculpture of David mm-hmm. in his fucking uh, dining room where he's like, you know, taking lavish care of his children who seem <laughs> yeah. like they're Italy's got like four of those. Not impressed, <laughs> especially since Italy just got destroyed. So like, you know, they were going to miss yeah. it. But I don't know. There was something something about that, too. Um, yeah, I feel you. It's it's remarkable. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable amount of. I guess I guess it's despair. It's, it's like throwing your hands up what that guy says about the future. I don't think about it. It's uh, how could you not? How could you not? He, that would be the literal the, only thing I could think about because his world is beautiful and shiny and well ordered. You know, it's like I remind, I it reminds me of like the how many people over the last decade and I used to be one of the ones eh, I'm not going to front. I have always been enthralled with politics, but there's I, I've you know, every time I try to engage a friend in politics and there's like, I don't fucking care about politics. Who cares? It's like there's echoes of that. And like no matter how bad yeah. the world gets, there's always be people like this guy who's just like, well, it's not affecting me. Like, oh, yeah, sure. If all you go around and look in the world is doom and gloom, then you're going to find it. But like, look at this. I got a statue of David. See his penis right there and his enormous hands. Yeah, missing uh, a leg. I've, I've I've cybernetically reconstructed his leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> see, there is beauty in the world, Theo. Yeah. If I had to name uh, a single flaw in this movie, 
is that they sort of go to the we need the action to move so let's just have an attack uh well one too many times really because i thought i kind of thought that about the car attack like why the fuck is this happening? Are these roaming bands of cannibals in the woods or something like, but like, I felt like it got explained. Uh, it seemed like every random attack did have a logical thing that was set up in, in the movie. No, uh, was, what, what, I, what I was think, you talking about? I think the one that, um, where I noticed it was like you said, when, uh, Clive Owen is walking through the crowd with the baby and key and, uh, then the, the shot goes off. Because, mm-hmm. like, what what happens in that moment if the shot doesn't go off? It's, like, do they just walk to the coast, get in a boat, and go? Um, yeah, because, like, yeah, and, and even I thought as I was watching it, like, when the f- shot goes off, it's like, so the soldiers, every single one of them forgets about the baby they just saw? Yeah, what what happens from there if, if that doesn't go off? But I, I guess, like, in the context of, you know, that, that sort of larger uh, meta narrative and commentary about society and humans it it works um, in retrospect but they they do it a few times uh where they have just like moments of calm that are really like the plot is only pushed forward by violence um or by the Mm -hmm. outbreak of of an attack Mm -hmm. and I, i was just maybe noticing it a little bit i thought michael Caine's character Jasper, uh, Theo's dad, was a fucking treat. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't seen this movie, I can describe him as... Okay, you know the dude from The Big Lebowski? Mm-hmm. That literal character played by Michael Caine. Yeah. The British and, and not, dude. And, and also, like, not... Um, because the dude is got like a lot of um you know hippie sensibilities as far as the man and like money and all that kind of stuff but also he's kind of like hypocritical and lazy about it and i feel uh. like this i got that same energy from michael kane because he's living in this you know pretty nice uh marijuana uh illegal growery but he, the reason he's so comfortable is because he has a cozy relationship with the jackbooted thugs that run the immigration detention facility, the concentration camp down the road, supplies them with weed and return for them looking the other way and giving him money. But he's the first to be like, Oh, those poor Fugees, those poor devils of this, that, and the other. But also, you know, it's, it's, it's such a fascinating character, but then he also puts it all on the line to save this baby's life. And I guess, Mm -hmm. I, man, I, I guess if you want a world built to allow you to have, crazy radical progressive opinions but the complete moral license to do nothing about it this is the world because why the fuck would you exert any strength into making the world a better place 18 years into a plague where no one's having children and the human race is just going to go extinct yeah yeah for sure like I, I try to be the hero of my life story, but like I ain't rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as it's going down Mm -hmm. you know and like I, I felt like I was trying to condemn him for some of this stuff and then he ends up being heroic in the end. But that's that's when he switches in. That's when his convictions come in and he swings into action when there actually is something to there There's was hope. some hope to cling to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's the the way in which he differs from the dude. It's maybe the only way is that mm. he is uh, willing to actually sacrifice. You know, the dude doesn't just doesn't end up doing anything in the big Lebowski. Like he just accidentally goes from one thing to another. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Walter. It's, it's like uh, there are the forces around him, push him down those roads um, yeah. where this, you know, he makes a decision and he stands up for what he believes in. Like you said, when the hope returns, right. 
makes a lot of certain this- amount of sense what a guy because i've seen him be so fucking menacing and he's so like even when he's kind of like in the 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 shittiest part of his dude phase he's just really effortlessly funny and warm and there's like the the funniest line from him is when he's he's talking about uh some some uh i don't know if it's a political branch i don't know if it's like a religious uh sect or whatever Mm -hmm. and clive owen goes off on him right like talking about how shitty they are and everything he's just like I was trying to tell a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just about, it's about really good. The, the Englishman eating storks for, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's really good. Honestly, like, um, I've liked Clive Owen for a long time, um, but he's really amazing in this film. And it's hard to like point to any one thing he does. He's just, uh, yeah. just very, very convincing at being this, this every man who used to be very, uh, very idealistic. Then, uh, the fucking baby virus came and he's just like given up. Like he just wants to get enough money to why, okay. Why does he need money? I'd missed a point of why he so desperately needs 5,000 pounds. Because, like, it seems like his plan is to just get enough money to drink himself into stupor to get through the next day that he can get enough money to drink himself into a stupor. I think that's just it. I think, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't have any plans for the 5,000 other than drink some more. But she said, like, I know you needed money. And I was trying to think mm-hmm. of, like, was there some kind of, like, therapy that his mom could afford if they had some more money? And But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so, no. Because I thought his motivation, that's the other thing. Um, and, of course... One of these things I need to watch this film again. But I never want to. I don't really want to watch this film again. Maybe if there's a really, you know, in a year or two and things are like better, they're not going to be perfect because we're a long fucking way from that. Yeah. But like in the sun shining just right, I might watch this movie again because I do think it bears repeated viewings. You'd get mm-hmm. a lot more out of it. And there's a lot oh, of like, yeah. you talk about the world building. Like there's a lot of stuff I was curious about. Like, why does this boss have all those ass paddles hanging <laughs> in his office? <laughs> Come on. They're not ass paddles. What are they? The cricket bats. They're not as. <laughs> oh. Although I will say, I did think we were walking oh. into a principal's office. There when was, I, saw I thought that. there was all sizes and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this collection of medieval ass paddles? It's this really guy. Kinky. It's a cricket bat? It's a cricket bat. They're of course cricket it's bats. a cricket bat. Of course bat. they're cricket okay. bats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, it's like, what is this? What is this guy? Like, they're trying to sell these a hard ass or that he hated oh, children the or he's this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's graduating oh his ass. He worked up from the smallest replica cricket bat to the biggest <laughs> one. And now he's got, he's got an iron ass, a stiff, stiff upper lip and even stiffer bottom cheeks. <laughs> no, uh, I, I assume he's some kind of like, maybe one of those is like his little league equivalent cricket bat. You know, he's been keeping all these from his whole or, life. You know, you go to bat night at the Cincy and Cincy reds and they yeah, give you yeah. those like commemorative, like little, you know, I, I love those things as a kid. Those like little foot long, uh-huh. like miniature Louisville slugger bats. You could like whack a uh, uh, fucking uh, golf balls and stuff around with ping pong balls. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of like the UK's probably got miniature bat night, cricket bat night. First 5,000 <laughs> yeah. show up, get a commemorative miniature cricket bat. All right. Not ass paddles. No, never mind. No. That was not an attempt at world building. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff like uh, they talk about cutting off. Ca- I, I looked that up because I thought that was bizarre and I'd never heard of it before. As far as I can tell, that's not a thing. Cows don't have like eight are not bristling with udders and they just like fucking lop the ones that are not useful off. Um, Why is that in there then? Is that I don't know something I that, don't. Is, is that like part of the dystopia? 
I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I thought this was foreshadowing for like whatever horrible fate was going to, uh, you know, uh, meet her at the end of the film, but it, it never it came up. There's a lot of stuff like, um, you know, uh, bulls and boards saying like, you know, um, not taking a fertility test is punishable by blah, blah, blah. It's a crime. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, harboring immigrants is a capital crime. Like all this other kind of like dystopian shit that's going on in the background. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I had a whole ass paddle and cow nipple theory and this has been exploded. It's been uh, exploded. Speaking of things that I thought were going to go somewhere, I thought were going to mean something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hurts his feet several times in this movie. Uh, they, they show one shot where he steps out into mud in his socks or something. Uh, then they show a shot. It's very, this is very diehard. Uh, they, they show him injure his foot and he screams fuck or whatever. Um, somebody hands him a pair of shoes later on mm-hmm. and I don't know what they were even trying to do with that if that's just like oh we need this to feel authentic and somebody running through all this rubble would probably hurt their feet I think it's back to the thing you don't want to talk about which is a Jesus allegory you know like uh, there's lots of foot washing in the Bible associated with the Jesus amongst his disciples and apostles Mm-hmm. Um, it's a religious, and I think that's something they do in uh, Islam before they go to their prayers. They richly wash their hands and feet and their heads. Um, and then when he, the only pair of shoes he could find were like sandals. I thought that was another, you know, piece of Christ imagery. The guy's name's Theo. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, uh, you, you've got a lot. Of, uh, and didn't didn't uh, Key joke that she was a virgin? Uh huh. Like they 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 actually had an explicit like, um, you know, and and there's something to. Like Joseph and Mary trying to escape with the the savior, you know, through, uh, I guess it wasn't war torn Rome, but it was, it was, uh, you know, Roman Judea. They fled to Egypt to get away from it. There's a whole ton, uh, like the fact that the, the separatists are called the fishes, Hmm. um, what is, is, is this all like this Christian allegory kind of wrapped up to it. And it didn't feel super forced because, um, it didn't, they didn't draw a lot of attention to it. And also like, I fully, you know, like if there's going to be some kind of like violent uprising in America or UK, uh, there absolutely will be some kind of like, you know, super Christian version of a separatist organization. There's just like that, that, that religion's too, too bound up in, in the society for it not to be. Yeah, um, I wish I had looked up the the foot stuff going on in this movie because it's all over the place. Like it's it's everywhere in this movie. Uh, there's, there's also a, a lot nasty of nasty close up of Clive Owen's feet at one point. He does have some fucked up muddy feet in this film. Uh, yeah. There's also a lot of stuff with animals. Like uh-huh. in almost every shot, there is an animal that is. Um, being affectionate towards Clive Owen or he's scratching their heads or something. It's like, I think that might've been something they were early on kind of like, you know, putting a halo around him. Like, look, all the animals love him. No one's afraid of him. He's got this, uh, like, uh, what, what the, um, suave. <laughs> That's how Julianne he's, Moore's character described in the key that he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's very suave. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, they're painting a picture of a broken man, obviously in, in, uh, Clive Owens, Theo. Um, and it, somewhere along the way, again, this is not like super specifically laid out, uh, but they show a lot of pictures of a child uh, with him and and Julian together. Uh, mm-hmm. And you come to realize, oh, that's his son who was probably killed. Um, mm-hmm. I think they say maybe died of cancer. It, they, they don't really dwell on it. They just kind of like yeah. bounce back and forth, like bounce over to it for a second and then go back to the the 
main it's narrative of the movie piece. for his character that snaps into place like oh he's got yeah. experience being a parent which which pays off in the the late in the third act and it explains so much about why he's broken it's not only the fact that you know the the humanity is on its way out um, and the no births yeah. are happening but also that he lost his child who would be still pretty young i think yeah um he also like there's this there's, there's an oral fixation with his character like Three separate the occasions cigarettes. he deflects. Uh, well, there's that. I didn't even think of that. But there's the he deflects uh, negative attention from himself onto someone else's. Like your breath stinks. Uh, you've got something stuck in your teeth. And then he does that oh, the yeah. party trick where he blows a ping pong back and forth in a Julianne Moore's <laughs> mouth and catches right. it. Yeah. Um. I do. I I noticed it, but like it's kind of like the feet thing. I'm not entirely sure exactly. Is it? Uh, I kind of thought like maybe if I go real deep into Jesus well that there's like some kind of wafer metaphor with the ping pong but like surely not uh, but that was one of the funny hmm. that's what I'm saying like him and like Michael Caine's like interaction with people I think is one of the funnier uh, is, is very fun the fact that like uh, this one jackass gets done in by Clive Owen's door twice in a row <laughs> I found very funny like once when he's yeah that the, the one dude Patrick I think is his name uh, he was the one on the bike that was trying mm-hmm. to kill Julianne Moore and them, and he opened his car door and him flipped them out, killed his cousin, and then as he, uh, Clive Owen and company are, are rolling down the hill trying to push start this car, he oh, comes running right. up to try to get him again, and he opens his car door and sends him flipping over the car again. Yeah, I thought, yeah. like, uh, there's a couple other, like, just really funny kind of, like, jokey joke moments, which I really appreciated because this movie is otherwise really, really bleak. Nothing ever, like every single time you think something good happens, it's actually something bad. Um, what is yeah, that? Can, Peter Mullen comes, shows in and I thought uh-huh. Sid was going to be kind of a good guy, but it turns out not really. What is it? He's an opportunist. Picking movies that that dude's in. Like we just did train spotting not too long ago. Yeah. Obviously we just came off Westworld. Yeah. Uh, which uh, actually is my introduction to that guy. Apparently same, same. It's the, the first time I actually, I, um, top of the lake was my first introduction to the guy. He's fantastic in the first oh, season. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like what, but Westworld is what made me learn his name. And like, yeah. oh yeah, this is a guy. Uh, this is this is this is a guy that, that to pay attention to. He's getting a lot of, a lot of cool work later uh, in life. And I but I enjoyed well, him. I, I mean, thought he was pretty funny too. too. Like, every everything yeah, he's spotting. in, I, I'm I'm blown away by him. Like he's a different character. He's a he's just convincing in that character. It's all like even when he's talking about himself third person, I feel like that's somehow a real dude. Even though. Mm-hmm. Meeting someone like that in the real world would be fucking strange. Mm-hmm. But it's like he pulls put, it off. Yeah, and you do have that, like like uh, the the way they characterize George Remus on Boardwalk Empire. Like every oh, once in a while, you right. get one of those guys who just can just fully pull off the third person act. Uh huh. You know, like like Prince. Uh, I don't think Andre the Giant did, but Andre the Giant could. You know, like uh, like he could he could Andre the Giant could unironically pull off a Hulk smash, Hulk do this, Hulk do that if he wanted to. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, Peter Mullen pulling off. Uh, I don't know what you call him, concentration camp guard. Yeah, with a heart of gold, not because he's nice, but just because he's always looking for the angle to make money and a name for himself. Uh-huh. Um, I also really appreciated there's at several points where Clive Owen has to like, you know, put himself at the mercy of like 
pretending to be a refugee or rely on the kindness and support of the uh, the the Fuji network. And I loved how they use like language barriers. Yeah. Um, in very tense situations, like him having to take the time in the middle of a street shootout to like draw a picture of a boat because she can't understand the word, you know, rowboat and et cetera. Um, or when I he thought that added it. a lot of drama. Like when they're in the bus and she's going into labor, uh, her water breaks and he's Break, like, yeah. piss, piss. Uh, he's Caca. pretending to have a language barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get to 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 uh, play on the guards natural disgust for these the fugies and the way yeah. the, 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 their squalor that they're forced to live in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a uh, it's a wild because like, you know, again, the movie ends in a it's it's it ends on a note of hope, but also it ends on an airstrike against uh, a giant refugee facility that's going or, or camp that's going to destroy a whole bunch of uh, refugees. Uh What's what's a worse name, Froley or Bazooka? <laughs> I think Bazooka is kind of badass. So Froley, okay. Froley, Froley sounds like a, a, like a made up word in an Alice in Wonderland poem. Yeah, like uh, it's a potion you drink before you, you you drink your Froley juice before you go off to face the Bandersnatch, my son, with their Vorpal blade that goes snicker snack. <laughs> it definitely sounds Beware like the Jabberwock and the Juju fly. Yeah, yeah like Terry Pratchett kind of. It's very very Froley, very fucking yeah. Monty Python. It's it's a it's a it's a woody woody sounding phrase. I do like what they do with that. It's like a it's fun. Uh, Froley Bazooka, both terrible names uh, for a baby. But then she eventually settles on the name Dylan, which is Clive Owen's son was Clive mm-hmm. Owen's son's name. Uh, and I feel like that is so directly connected with the idea of hope and how you know Clive Owen's hope, uh, Theo's hope throughout the film returns. You know he's mm-hmm. he's sort of confronted with the idea that humanity might not be doomed. And that changes his his outlook on life. And by the end, he's got this sort of monument to him in the form of this first child that's been born in 18 years. And I think it's really it's progeny. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really nice way to end this film, which is why I felt the hope at the end of this film that a lot of people, I guess, maybe didn't. No, I loved it. The fact that like he makes experience uh, use of his experience as a father because this woman is pretty young. Like I don't probably older than 18, but maybe not. Well, um, I was wondering very, if if the woman they were talking about being the youngest woman might be her after the youngest man gets stabbed to death. They say the new youngest person is a woman. Surely it wouldn't be a refugee, though, right? Would they track that amongst the... Probably not, yeah. Um, but, but maybe but either, she's even younger and they just don't count her. Um, but either way, I like the idea that, like, you know, no one else, like, uh, she's never seen a baby or, or like, certainly in her living memory, not uh, yeah. not been able to see how to, and him, like, teaching, like, basics of, like, how you care for a child, how, you know, how mm-hmm. you can comfort them, all that kind of stuff right before he dies. I was screaming, tie your fucking boat to the buoy. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. You're going to die and this thing's going to drift out to sea and this baby's going to starve because it's foggy <laughs> out. Like, fucking tie it to the buoy. What the fuck is your problem, Clive Owen? Do you not have rope in the boat? Before yeah. you die, for, it's comforting the child's fun and nice, but you got to tie that thing off to the buoy. What kept, the hell? I kept looking and noticing they're not getting any farther away from this buoy, which is a little strange. Yeah, uh, I thought so too. I was like, oh, they must have anchored this thing for the purposes of filming because... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you thrown out an anchor, I guess I would have bought that, too. But shit, I don't know. Um, I wonder how far out in the ocean are they? Are they in a channel or something? I don't know. Um, the English channel? Sure. Perhaps. 
Uh, I don't have a hell of a lot else to say about this this film because um, the commentary, a lot of it is just self-evident. It's super beautiful. The action scenes are amazing for what they are and genuinely yeah. tense mm-hmm. because, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've remarked this a lot. You can add as many CGI's and as have a whole bunch of CGI Harry Cavill flying out of a whole bunch of CGI. Uh, I don't know. Fuck face McGee. And if you don't give a shit about the characters or think that they are going to die and there's no stakes to those deaths, it doesn't matter. These are, you know, very impressive visually, but yeah. like from a stunt, you know, like from a stunt thing, it's, it's, it's just average people trying to do like trying to kill each other and not be killed. So it's not yeah. amazing, but it just feels fucking real. And That's the like, thing. I was on the edge of my seat for that final battle because I was just like, because this movie was fucking brutal. Yeah. Um, the way it introduces characters and efficiently gets you to care. Like I knew Julianne Moore for less than 15 minutes and felt gutted when she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, her given death face, like when she was like kind of like slack jawed and her eyes were pointing in two different directions. Like, I don't know if they did a CGI or what, but that was um, just did a really good job of introducing characters, making me care about him, killing them to the point to where like, I honestly didn't know how brutal this film was going to be. Yeah. Like I could totally see like it being a folly of man kind of exercise to have this, this mother and child killed in the middle of this melee. Um, sure. You know, squander your most precious resource because people can't stop shooting each other long enough to listen or, or do something different. Um, yeah. But because of that, because these characters are so well-defined and the cause is so the heights, the stakes are so high. Uh, they're very fragile, normal people. Like I, man, I was just on the edge of my seat through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I think to me, the most impressive um, maybe in it's, it's ingenuity or it's like kind of flipping an action scene on its head was that car mm. chase scene and the mm. way it starts the, the downhill, there, there's something just so slow and boring about a downhill race in cars or a downhill chase in cars where the cars aren't on. You take that back because the commando downhill dead car chase <laughs> is one for the ages. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen that one. This, this is maybe okay. This is the most recent best one I've seen. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh-huh. But, but but the cars aren't on. They're traveling mm-hmm. at no more than ten miles. Not running. A speed. guy can sprint up. A guy can catch right. up sprinting. Do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so fucking tense because of it. Uh, and they get to the bottom, and then you know the the chase begins. It's like. And that was, there's even a moment of humor where, like, you know, Clive Owen's trying to jumpstart this thing or pu- push bump start it. And he, like, goes three feet. And she instantly tries. And he, like, comes like, no, damn it. You got like, it's like yeah. that kind of like funny frustration. Like, I've seen my mom and dad do that when my dad is trying to get a car started at my granddad's one day. And it's like, you know, we didn't have a bunch of screaming people chasing us. But, like, there's like little moments of humor in every day kind of like, yeah, uh-huh. they're not action movie stars. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. No, they're Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, and it feels super real in those moments. Um, the, yeah. I mean, obviously, the most technically impressive one is the battle scene at the end. But yeah. the and one also that no really anno- felt strange and weird and interesting there's, to me was that car chase. There's also no annoying characters. Like, I feel like almost every movie has. Yeah. The, like, I thought that that midwife was going to be like, you know, she made a mistake at that bump starting thing. But it's something that anyone could make. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like at no point there was a person that like. Uh, gave them away by crying irrationally or acting in a bizarre that way. Baby. Like that fucking baby. The, the, yeah, the baby you can, you can get away with. But oh, that's yeah. something I want to talk about. CGI baby. That's a pretty good CGI baby for t- 2006. It was a CGI baby. It had to be a CGI baby. Hmm. Well, it's, that's how fucking good it was, Jim. I know. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, you, you don't even know it's a CGI baby. Now, now I'm worried. Is it a CGI baby? Uh, <laughs> children of men. 
uh it was yes two yes. babies there's a, th- there's a three minute cut on youtube called children of men cgi baby nice uh and there's a fx reel i guess uh from the vfx house that did it so because um, yeah, yeah how the fuck notice. do you how the fuck do you have a, a fucking baby in some of those scenes and stuff that they were doing yeah um can't yeah. set off a squib next to a baby's head you cannot there's probably laws actual laws against it if well, not there ought to be. like the, the filming restrictions you know you're gonna have that baby on a cold muddy set for 16 hours hell no 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 trying to get yeah, a one it can only work for four hours a day sorry <laughs> trying to get a one with a five five hour old baby no you're not gonna be able to do that <laughs> it takes it takes six weeks to get that one shot yep um what do you think so What's your stance on the oneers that are actually not oneers, but are just cleverly put together with CGI? You know, everything is cleverly put together with CGI nowadays. Who gives a shit? Okay. If it, if it serves the story, if it sor- serves the aesthetic, go for it. I do think it's kind of like, um, like a steroid era in baseball. There should be like an like a dividing line of like, okay, this is when CGI was invented, and all oneers are suspect. Yeah, because there is a little bit of like practically doing all the things like the one from Goodfellas where he's walking through the restaurant and all that like like, you know, just everyone hitting their marks, having all this chaos and like or in order in the middle of it. Like there was something to that. And I'm not taking away the accomplishments because even like the one, you know, I talked I I sucked off at the beginning, uh, the true detective one that was using a lot of like door frames and things to cleverly hide like cuts in the action and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's still impressive, and I, I think it's a very it's, it's a super immersive technique too. Like just like 1917 had my pulse pounding. This this naturally gets you engaged and going because there's not a chance to look down at your phone or be distracted or disengage. It's like if you bought into the characters and you bought into the action, you bought into the stakes. It's like you can't fucking tear your eyes off of it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm gonna be progressively less impressed um, with seeing those things, but but now they're you know, but that's true of any CG. I, I think like the the early CG you saw with like Jurassic Park, you know, how they seamlessly yeah. blend the CG and the the uh, animatronics and stuff. Yeah, all of that was super technically impressive. It could blow you away with its visuals. Very Nowadays, yeah. it's just that's that's status quo. That's just like that's what you expect. Yeah, if you don't have that level of immersion, you're failing on a filmmaking level. But I think, and I think like you know, oneers are kind of getting to that point where it's like, okay, you did a whole movie as a oneer, that's mm-hmm. technically impressive. Now it's a tool in your toolbox. It's not something to be, I guess, celebrated on its own. Yeah. All right. There's one other thing that I wanted to mention, and it's that it's how much I like stories that don't really give you the cause of the event um, that changed the world, like these dystopian ones specifically, Mm -hmm. because we're never told what causes the infertility that leads to, you know, 18 years of no babies. Uh, And and stories like The Leftovers, uh, zombie things, actually. Um, 99% of the time, zombie films don't explain the cause of the zombie outbreak. It just happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you take that and you start from there and you build out. And I think Children of Men is fantastic at building out from its core premise, which it doesn't explain, just infertility has led to this. Yeah. No, I I agree. And it also frames 
it also quickly sets it away from like a mystery, you know, where it's like, oh, we yeah. gotta, we have to find the scientists have to find a resolution. There's a secret we have to uncover, and it like puts your mind at ease to like, nah, that's not what this movie is about. Uh-huh. It's like this is, and allows you to like, and and you know, every minute you spend uh, with some fucking doctor in front of a CGI screen explaining how things happen is an, another minute that you can't have Julianne Moore blowing a ping pong ball into Clive <laughs> Owen's mouth and really thinking, oh, they're a cute couple. It's a damn shame that they got, but now they're back together and off. Oh, she just took a bullet to the throat hmm. you know yeah uh i agree less less explanation of backstory because it just gets you in trouble too i think that's one you of know? uh Coron's kind of philosophies when it comes to narrative and storytelling he likes you to just sort of experience it and and be in the in the the narrative of the cinema not the narrative yeah. for the narrative's sake you know one thing uh, uh cecily and i've been doing as an escape through for the world is we've been watching bob ross um, although they've started running political fucking fucking commercials under my 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 free Bob Ross channel, and it's 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 no longer the refuge that I th- that, uh, that I thought it was. The other thing, uh, we've been watching all the Harry Potter films with the riff tracks uh, tracks <laughs> enabled. Uh-huh. And you pointed out something right before we started recording that like Alfonso Cuarón seems to write most of his material. The yeah, one yeah. exception, as far as I can tell, for his whole fucking career, is Harry Potter. And a prisoner of Azkaban, and Sess and I kind of resolved to like get the Blu-ray so we could start watching the special features and stuff. And I would love to hear his because like that's the total opposite. You're coming. He had never worked on a big budget. He'd never worked in effects films. I guess Guillermo del Toro is the one that talked him into it because he's like, I don't know, Guillermo. They got coming into these kid book series, and Guillermo's like, Have you read them? He's like, No. He's like, Jesus Christ, you've got to make this movie. But like, what was it like to have the complete opposite? Like, not only do you have like all of this stuff set before you but you have to have a particular beginning and an end point that you have to hit i know that's like like a lot of the marvel people have expressed frustration the auteur marvel directors that like god damn you just like this shit's on rails you don't have a lot of room to put your own stamp on it i wonder what it was like for him to work under you know that that giant budget that giant uh, microscope and just very little creative freedom when it came to the structure uh, of the story itself probably somewhat frustrating but it, it seems to me like that might have been his sort of career loss leader uh you yeah. know the status boosting event that he wanted gonna, to get gonna, so that he could make learn things on like the job and gravity and this and and you know roma things like that yeah yeah um it's funny though because like i this is one of the few directors that i feel like i've seen Almost everything that he's made, certainly after E, uh, uh, e Mama, but uh, e, e to Mama Tambien, mm-hmm. um, I saw that because Roger, I was a huge, huge Roger Ebert fan. Um, and I just, I think, moved out on my own and he like fucking raved about it. And I liked being pretentious and like watching a foreign film. Um, so I, I think I've seen every single one of this guy's films, except for Children of Men, <laughs> which uh, I didn't even know he directed it until we kind of selected it. Um, but I've seen every one of his films pretty much as they came out. Um, it's been kind of fun. And uh, it was really fun watching this, like just seeing I, I watched Prisoner of Azkaban like just a couple nights ago. And like the lighting and sudden cinematography is unmistakable. Yeah. Like the, the exact same techniques used, um, the exact same lighting and color schemes and palettes. Um, like I said, gravity, you know, feels as intense as this movie feels in its most intense moments. Yeah. And like, you know, I think that's also interesting. Um, he's a great choice to 
turned the Harry Potter franchise from its very kiddie, like, you know, the first two books are essentially The Hobbit, and then it turns into Lord of the Rings, where you're fighting a dark lord and the world's going to shit, and it's just children being tortured, and, and like, Alfonso Cuaron really turned that corner and gave the movie a decidedly darker tone that then later directors came and essentially copied. So, good. Hmm. I don't know who the fuck made that call. Hey, let's get <laughs> right. the guy that did E, e Mama Tam, you, you, you know, E2 Mama Tam in. Let's get no. him in here. See what he can do. Sure, we had Chris Columbus Home Alone, you know, <laughs> works great with children. Let's get this guy who does this like super sexy, erotic coming of age Spanish film. <laughs> Let's get him yeah, in here. It does seem like a strange choice when you put it to that direct way. these 13 year olds. They're going to be dicking down uh, Professor McGonagall this year. It's, you know, it's going to be some inappropriate older lady relationships. You need to see each two Mama Tambien, sounds like Jim. Wait, I thought that was Harry Potter. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I was blending the two. I okay. was remaking. I've, I've not I was, seen I was, If 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 uh, if Quran was able to write his own Harry Potter, gotcha. That's the direction he would have taken it. All right, that'll wrap up our coverage of Children of Men. Uh, next week we're going to we we've, we're falling in a half hole. Yeah. Uh, we we enjoyed our little taste of Philip Seymour Hoffman we got in last week's coverage of The Talented Mr. Ripley. And Jim decided we want to go back to see, I think this is 2005 film Capote about uh, the novelist and, and personality Truman Capote. I've never seen this. Have you? I haven't either. I, I was considering maybe doing The Master, uh, but I have seen that. So I wanted to see this. And I... I've seen enough of it, like, you know, commercials and stuff to know it's a very different, like he's got this like very soft spoken, um, you know, kind of silky performance that I have not really seen him do before. So like, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back, uh, with, uh, with the Capote coming out in our prestige threads. And of course, uh, next week's big, our return to the walking dead, uh, over there in the pulp threads. Uh, or the pulp feed, the bald move pulp feed. Uh, if you want to check that out, it's it's also in the old Walking Dead feed. If you still got that active, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that that handles both your vitamins, pulp and prestige. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>